Hello, this is Ryan. Hi, this is Tim. We don't have ads. Well, now we do. This is an ad. We <laughs> ask for you to please tell a friend if you're enjoying our show. And of course, leaving a review on iTunes helps out tremendously. It'd be awesome if you guys could do that. Either way, though, we thank you for being here. On, on with the, the show. They turned out to be completely unreliable assholes. Hi, Tim. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Sixto. <laughs> That's for those who don't know. That was my uh, my cat. Tim was saying hello to. So, okay, so I've said hello to you, you've said hello to me, you've said hello to my cat, I've said hello to... Oh, right, I gotta say hi to you listening. That's what's next. Hello, you listening. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Welcome. This is Dismembering Horror, episode 112 of Dismembering Horror, in fact. That's a lot (laughs) of episodes. Really is. A lot of horror movies. I mean, um, well, what, 111, in fact. Yeah, we don't count episode 100. We just uh, we just looked back. Anyways, Dismembering Horror. What is it? Who are we? What is this? Who are you? Uh, Dismembering Horror. It's the podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and... Myself, Tim Aslan. Tim Aslan. We dismember a horror film every week from our mouths to your ears, from our our essence to your visage. We talk about what worked, Gross. what did not work, and anything else we may have found interesting or noteworthy about, you guessed right, a horror film. Ones that we've been wanting to revisit, ones that we've always wanted to see, ones that have been recommended to us. Uh, we love the ones that you've submitted to us. Or in the case of this episode, because if you're listening to this when it's new, it is the month of October, the year 2020. We want to keep up the tradition and having some sort of like themed, you know, for October, we use as an excuse these last two years to cover a series. So last year was the Psycho movies, all four psychos with Anthony Perkins. And this year is... Oh, when the devil in the rain, <laughs> in the devil oh, you so think that that's like the memorable the thing from these sick. movies. <laughs> that's right. I know you immediately knew what I was talking about. Scream! And we're on to Scream 2 today. It It is. It's like the song. It's like, the, it's like when that song comes on in these movies, you're like, yeah, Scream, it's <laughs> I happening. Guess, I guess. <laughs> with the red rot hand you know that was my favorite part of the last one when he closed the door <laughs> to the beat of the song right. it's so good <laughs> um but yeah trucking along scream two out of four uh it was my I, this was the one i hadn't seen the longest ago you know what i mean um, for the longest time billy <laughs> yeah. joel style Right, I had completely forgotten like who the killers were. I think all I remembered was like I kind of remembered the car scene of them having to cr- crawl over Ghostface mm. to escape the locked car. Yeah, and then um, and then I remember that uh, Randy dies. That's it. Yeah, I you know I may have only no, I think I've seen this one twice, once in the theater. 
I'm almost certain I saw this one in the theater as well because I have this memory of that moment after they uh, crawl over him in the car uh-huh. of, of like thinking to myself, why don't they just take the fucking mask off and then run away? Like identify and run away, right? Like what are we doing? And then they and then they actually call that out in the movie right after I had the thought. And I always remember <laughs> that moment of being like, oh, um, like cool, a movie where they actually are like kind of ahead of the audience. Like they're anticipating what the audience is going to think. Not that the first one didn't do that, but the, it seemed more poignant for some reason in in the, mm-hmm. that moment in this one to me. Um, and I'm I I I'm almost certain I saw it a second time, but uh, like you, it's been I, probably since the year after it came out that I've seen this one. Wow! Like so, fresh on renting it on VHS pan and scan, probably. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, probably <laughs> awful. So I, yeah. I, I remembered kind of like vague aspects of it, but was very surprised by a lot of stuff. In particular, the cast. Yeah, I was just like every fucking time you meet a new person, I was like, holy shit, that's this person, and that's this person, and that's this person, right? Like I oh, forgot whoa, all about Portia all that. De, yeah, Portia de Rossi didn't even know who she was probably when I last saw this. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, great, great, great. Well, Tim, I'm so excited to get into it. So, do you want to get into it and start with the trailer for Scream Two? Sure. All right, here we go. As I've said it, as you know, I'm going to say it again. From 1997, right after '96, when the first one came out, we are back with Scream Two. Let's get down to business. The way I see it, someone's out to make a sequel. You know, cash in on all the movie murder hoopla. So it's our job to observe the rules of the sequel. What are you talking about? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to make a successful sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. Carnage candy. And number three. Never, ever, under any circumstances, assume the killer is dead. How did we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. Well, let's look at the suspects. There's the obvious boyfriend, Derek. So you think it's Derek? Not so fast. Forget the boyfriend. It's tired. Who else do we got? There's Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student. But if he's a suspect, so am I. So let's move on. Uh, actually, looks like that was the home video release trailer that we Apparently. watched. <laughs> Wherever we'll go with it. I I remember seeing this and really liking this um that little teaser trailer because it's it's great. It's just, I, that scene's great. It does everything you need. It's Fun. the same scene as the first movie, and it happens almost exactly at the same mo- like point in the movie. It's the oh. midpoint of the movie. Except this, you mean like the video store scene in the That's first right, one, where where Randy calls calls it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. This one, they're eating Baskin Robbins ice cream. <laughs> yeah, after little thirty one flavors cups. <laughs> um, great, 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 great scream. Well, Tim, per our rating system, would you tell yourself yourselves? Would you tell yourself regarding Scream Two, <laughs> all the Tims? <laughs> would you tell 
the Tims to avoid Scream 2, stream it, rent it, or buy it? I think I would still buy it. Woo! Because the first one, it's a very good sequel. Uh, it does all the things that they basically are explaining in that trailer of yeah. like, you know, <laughs> uh, more kills, bigger kills, like bigger scenes, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It pretty well does that. Um, I don't have a ton of like problems with it. There's a couple things that we'll talk about that I'm sort of like, I think could have been done better maybe, but all in all, it's, it's pretty comparable to the first one. Like in, in general, it's it's solid, solid uh, continuation of that world without feeling like a letdown at all. Right. If you can look at it as like, oh, no, this is what you want is it for not to be you want it to be a sequel. And it, it tells you exactly what a sequel should be. Mm-hmm. And it does it. I think this movie. OK, I'll give it. I, I got to give it a buy it, too. I was really impressed with it, actually. Um, I thought it was like on par with the first one and just sort of, as you said, just continuing to be, to do the scream thing, do it well. Um, Self-aware in the right way, like addresses things that we actually said we had sort of, I mean, not really big issues, but we made note of right in the, in the first one, it kind of like just deals with them. Well, yeah, I just think it's, it's so smart in when I say doing the scream thing, I guess that's a lot of things, but the one I'm thinking of right now, it's like knowing where the audience is at Mm -hmm. and then meeting them right there and then pulling that rug out from under their feet so you can still engage with it, like with the sort of intensity of a horror movie. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because if you really step back, it's basically the exact same movie structurally. Right, but like what else would it be? <laughs> right? Like well, what I mean is they didn't they didn't reinvent the wheel. They took the things that were working and they just re they redid the 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 story beats and like the structural beats, but they just they kind of shuffled the deck a little bit, but it's it's pretty much right right down the middle of the same basic movie. I mean, but it's but like in it manages to be a totally different movie. It's it's right. really interesting, right? Like we could just sort of go down the line. I mean, you could even say that how it's being a slasher film too, not just yeah. a scream sequel too. Yeah, yeah, but you know, there's like, <laughs> let's see, Every, the the relationships are all basically the exact same. You know, new faces, but like filling in the spaces of those new faces with new faces. Right. The um, right mix of old and new. Yeah. All of the same essential things happen. The catharsis or the, the climax is almost exactly the same in, in sort of structure. It's like there are two killers. There is a savior who you least expect to be the savior. You know, like all of the sort of nuts and bolts of the first one are there. But because they reframed everything with new characters and, and a new place, I guess. And it, just it, it, it being really the sequel, works. yeah. It yeah, it just the, sort of works. <laughs> it being the self-aware meta sequel. Like, yeah. 
that's the scream thing too. Cool. But well, actually, yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm already getting into the things that work now. Sorry. Yeah. Let's do no, a summary. <laughs> exactly. Then we can Fuck. get to what worked. So summary, it is uh, Nev, our, our gal, Nev Campbell, Sydney Prescott. She's in college now. It's great. Mm. We learned she's a theater kid too. So that was fun. <laughs> um, and it's in, are they... Is, is it supposed to be California? Did she go off somewhere for school? I feel like she went off somewhere for school. I forget what it was um, supposed to be. I think it's still California. I mean, the first one is California. Right, it's just Northern right. California. Um, so maybe she's in Southern California now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, we can anyway, talk later about the, the filming locations too, but yeah. Whatever. It, I don't know why I started with that. It's sort of a, yeah, it's a pretty standard college campus vibe it does particularly have a bit of a southern california feel to it um but yeah she would like the characters finally fit their age group (laughs) that's nice and uh so it's a bunch of college people and she well right away we they we established that uh gail's taken um quite a lot of advantage of the the story created a book which has spawned a movie version of the book called stab oh yeah i mean that's the intro we know now we are in a world where a film which is basically the scream movie it's it this is god this is where the movie (laughs) just is so good you know there's it's it's stab is this it's and it's the scream within the scream it's the That's movie right. within a movie based on the murders from the first film. Yep. it's That's a really, really good way to, I don't know. It's just, it's got that meta thing where, because we know we've already established. I think that's probably the best like added layer. It's the only way to do a Scream sequel, you know? Right. It's brilliant. Because you're going to have, like you do, you have, you know, Randy and, and Sydney are, are at the same college now. And we meet the sort of cast of similar characters, but the, their cohorts in college, like boyfriends and, and friends and such. And Right. So, you know, so where, where she's at, she has a new boyfriend, Jerry O'Connell. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of like, that's kind of her main character story through it is sort of working through her trust issues based yeah. off of the first one of having her boyfriend in the first one turn out to be the, the murderer. <laughs> but of course, because in, so, so a new ghost face copycat killer shows up and kills somebody. Oh, actually it says right here in the, in the Wikipedia, it's a fictional Windsor college in Ohio. Interesting. So they traveled all the way from California to go to college in Ohio. It seems that's actually like that. kind of that's cool because that really establishes that it's not coincidental, right? Yeah, like yeah. that they are the new ghost face killer is in the town that she specifically is in. So yeah. that's a that's a big deal. They're I all didn't really on high catch al- that. Yeah, they're all on high alert. Yeah. So of course, you know, a copycat killer showing up and doing this is a big deal for her. Um, and and Randy, and it gets our previous cast back in town, into the new town, w- with Gale and uh, Dewey. <laughs> uh, they're the only two from the first one, right? It's the four of them yep. total. Yeah, our core Rand- four. Randy, Sydney, Dewey, and and Gale. Woo, woo, woo. And then you get kind of 
what you would expect, right? Like, oh, and cotton at a certain. Oh, point. that's right. So yeah, cotton is now he's he, he's around. Yeah, not so much a, a big player in the first one, but just as far as okay. But an interesting sort of character in that he he really is trying to bank on his like fifteen minutes of fame, and <laughs> that's like his whole motivation is to get some to get some. Uh, I don't know. What do you call that? Some, some airtime. He's feel, he feels that he is owed for his year of wrongful imprisonment. Yeah. And for it's, uh, after effects, he seems very, he's very scarred cotton by, um, being wrongfully accused. But as he says, people still look at him as if he did it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you get, you get your twists and turns and who, who could it be? The whole movie is very much like just the same, sort of thing they even do the same like show somebody's feet and then cut to another person and they're wearing similar shoes and it's like yeah yeah we get it that's that's the that's the thing yeah it could be anybody it's probably not the person you just like alluded to it being right uh which they do a lot with jerry o'connell's character in particular which i think is good because we're trying to kind of be in in sydney's headspace yeah um but it all culminates with us finding out and Sydney finding out that it's another student uh, who's a friend of theirs, played by Timothy Oliphant. Oliphant? Whatever. Elephant. Elephant. Um, and uh, and Lori Metcalf, who is... What's her character's name? She's just Lori. Well, she has like now. multiple characters. So she she's been pretending to be a a reporter, a local reporter, but in actuality, she is the mother, the estranged mother of Billy. Right. So, so Mrs. Loomis uh, going under the alias Debbie Salt, small town reporter. Right. And um, so we hope you've seen this. If not, that's fine. But Tim, since this is the summary section and a big part of it is um, just plugging into how we viewed this. Um, I don't know if this would necessarily go in what worked, even though it could, I just want to know like, what was your experience watching as far as thinking like who was the killer at any given point or what was going on? So I completely forgot that it was Timothy Oliphant as one of the two. I was like, I'm pretty sure I remember Lori Metcalf being the killer, but I had forgotten completely that she was Billy's mom like mm. that. I just was like, Oh, what's her angle? She's a reporter. Was she just trying to like get a good scoop? And she like created this whole thing to just like <laughs> be the next Gale. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty, I was like, I know it's her, but then when it's like, Oh, Mrs. Loomis, I was like, Oh fuck. Of course. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, I was not, I, I went into the ver- the final act being like, fuck, I don't remember. And this is actually kind of exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't remember if, if, uh, Jerry O'Connell's character was in on it and then he gets shot. And I was like, shit was, wait, is, is Timothy Oliphant just nuts? And he shot his partner. Like I was completely lost actually cool. up to that point, other than knowing Laurie Metcalf was a part of it. Um, I was pretty taken by surprise and that was nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh to say the least. And the yeah, the cotton angle, I was like pretty confused by I I knew 
I knew he like that's the thing is I had this vague memory of the 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 characters that were around in the theater like that was sort of in my brain Mm -hmm. but i couldn't remember who was who or what actually the outcome was so that was fun cool i completely forgotten i who who it was uh so it was you can imagine how exciting it was when it was um i spent uh, a lot of the movie actually thinking it was dewey no, I knew, I mean, I knew who it wasn't in the sense. So I'm caught up where I feel like you're totally blind. I know you're totally blind on Scream 4 and mostly Scream 3. Um, <sighs> I, but, oh, so I, did, no, I, I know that there's like a, like a, like a hay bale or a barn or some shit in Scream 3. That's like the only <laughs> image in my head that I remember. Wait, so did you know with this one um, that, did you think Dewey was actually killed when he was stabbed? Yes. Uh, that must have been so heartbreaking. <laughs> well, I remember thinking it was, even knowing. I remember thinking, "Oh yeah, this is one of the scenes that I really remember, but I didn't remember why I remembered it." And then he got killed. And I was like, "Oh, that must be why I remember it so well because Dewey gets killed. Shit." I just could not imagine <laughs> him being the killer. Like, that's I be, you know, for some so reason far-fetched. in my head I was like this whole thing that they were doing with his limp and whatever. I was like, "Wait, did they did this come out after Usual Suspects? Is this a they're doing like kind of a a like a nod to Kaiser Soze kind of thing <laughs> with him. I was like, shit, maybe that is what well, happens. It, I was, I was pretty lost. So just to, I mean, this will be whatever, something the things of note, this was an early example of a script leaking out online. So oh, they, really? they, yeah. So they completely changed who the killers were. And then even up to like, if, even if you were involved in the production, they were putting out different versions and stuff like that and only planned on the day wow. of shooting the actual, like, newly come up with ending or whatever. Jesus. But, uh, so, like, one of the versions that went out there to people did indeed have, like, Dewey as one of the the, the killer okay. or one of the killers. <laughs> so, there's a way to write it. <laughs> you know, I would, I'd just be so curious how they, you know, to read that version. But no, I, uh, yeah, since I had completely forgotten, it was, you can imagine how just wonderful and fun it was with, um, surprising it was with, uh, Mrs. Loomis in the form of Lori Metcalf showing up. Mm-hmm. She's just like so good. Just her giving that monologue is great. so much fun. And then I feel like, uh, Elephant, <laughs> Timothy Oliphant is Mickey. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't want to say I I guessed it because the whole time I was just like, like him and Jerry O'Connell, I was equally just like so suspicious of, you know, totally. But I feel like, yeah, Timothy, I don't know. He, he, he struck me the hardest as like, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure. Like if I had to put money on it. Well, it's kind of the same thing as the first one too, right? Like the guy you most expected, the most sort of character, like uh the essence of that actor is he's he's a pretty like sinister and like distrusting faced right. guy right <laughs> like of how all they're... the people and that's exactly how it was in the first one right like fucking yeah. what's his nut you we look at his face and we go oh yeah no something but then something's you, up with that you guy. know you're watching a screen movie so you go oh well that's just intentional there that is the everyone's suspicious it. right <laughs> <laughs> well let's let's if you have uh, that's the beauty of it let's get into what worked all right all right here we go scream two what worked it worked like a charm smith <laughs> 
Just to point out, I don't know how intentional this was in terms of like trying to confuse or like sway the audience one way or the other. But in the sequence where Ghostface uh, goes after Sydney for the first time, so it's just after Sarah Michelle Geller has been killed, I believe. And. Yeah, I think that's right. And then, yeah, because yeah, because it's at that sorority house. So Sydney gets chased around the house. Bill, uh, not Billy. Fuck. What's uh Jerry O'Connell's fucking name? Derek oh, or something yeah, like that. Derek. Yeah. So Derek pops up, runs inside, gets cut, but it's like a convenient wound. Uh, Ghostface gets away. Everybody sort of shows up and, and everybody's like suspicious of everybody. Yeah. In that Including scene, Sydney, yeah. Right. In that scene, every suspect that they show, I believe, is wearing the same colored blue shirt. <laughs> they all have different shirts on, right? But like Jerry O'Connell has this sort of it's sort of a baby blue checkered shirt and uh or maybe Dewey's got the checkered one. Jerry O'Connell has like the polo. Um, uh, Timothy Oliphant has like a sort of a, a sweater. Uh, I think Randy is in that scene. He's got a blue. Like, I think everybody who you kind of are wondering who it could be, they're all wearing the same color. I don't know if that's just the costume department was like, this is our palette. Let's put all the guys in this color or what. But it changes after that. So I... I I don't know. I thought it was an interesting, possibly very cool, like, thing that for me, I was like, that is fun and exciting to try to look for clues within the design of these big scenes. Um, and I think there's a lot of little things like that throughout the movie uh, that are just good. Like, the... The in- first of all, maybe I should backtrack the opening scene calling out having two black actors literally call out the lack of um, black or people of color in the first movie <laughs> and like just just calling it out right at the top. That's the thing I was talking about in the last movie where it's like you got to have characters who hang a lantern on those things that the audience are thinking. And they just do it right out the, out the gate, which I love. Um, of course, they both get killed, so that sort of carries on that trope. But, you know, the cameraman being being black, the best friend being black, like the, having it being more diverse, not totally diverse, but more was a good step forward and obviously they were thinking about it. So I really appreciated that. Um, I love that the cameraman is like, he doesn't get killed because he does something stupid. He just leaves. He's like, I'm done with this. Bye. <laughs> like he's the smartest person in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. He gets the fuck out of there. Um, so I just like little things like that. I love, I could, well, I don't know. There, there's so many of them. It's sort of where do you even begin? 
I don't think they're little. You, you, I feel like you went from saying a little thing to a big thing, which was little thing is the blue people wearing. Like, you know, it's there. It's a fun little detail. I listened to the commentary. It sounded like they were absolutely aware of it. I don't know, like, how I think, I think it was like not, they weren't too crazy force bad, but just kind of something that arose. Cause one of them was like, yeah, a lot of ended up going with a lot of blue, everyone in blue working with that. Um, but like what you said about starting off with having black characters talk about the lack of black people in the previous one, just to start, I mean, in order with what I have, like what's what I loved so much, what worked for me, the opening scene. And that's like what I was talking about when I said how it's got to meet the audience where it's at in order to then pull us into it as a horror movie again, Mm -hmm. you know, doing both at once. So like immediately start with that critique of the first one puts us right where, you know, that's again, meeting us where we're at and then combine that with the other, that it's the the two things that, and that the opening scene doing and the way it's commenting on making us confront the idea of, glorifying violence or reveling it, celebrating it, whatever, whatever the the unique to horror response is. And I'd love how they just put, turn it up to 11 for this movie where it's like <laughs> ushers are like having like ghost face fly around, like everyone's screaming, <laughs> like with their fake, like glowing knives and everything. Did you notice what theater we were in? It was the Egyptian theater down no, the street. No, it's the Vista. It's the one in, um, in my neighborhood. Oh, because they're both Egyptian themed. Yep, they are. are I you... thought the same thing. I was like, oh, this is the Egyptian, is, isn't it? But I had to look it up because I was like, wait a minute. That might be the Vista. I feel like I've been... I've never been in the Egyptian. I've been in the Vista many times. So I looked it up. It is the Vista. Oh, I my was God. very excited. I forget that the... Yeah, that's they're so cool. Both, they both have the same kind of decor and yeah, yeah. vibe to them for sure. But yeah. But probably my two favorite theaters in Oh, LA. my God. So um, good. Anyway, but yeah, that just that just brought me like right in to have those two those two elements and just it puts you in a space. I'm trying to think like what is what is going on with meta. It like it's <laughs> it puts you in a place where there's no easy answer to anything. You know? Well, the thing that there's so much going on in that scene. There's there's critique, right? Like outward critique of the first movie from the characters in the movie but then they're watching a very clearly like shitty version of the first movie with like heather graham as drew barrymore's character right like (laughs) like great but like even in the in the how that stab the movie stab is shot there's nuance in that it's just not as good as scream Right. Like it's a movie in a movie about the previous movie. <laughs> it makes us immediately move on from it in a way. It like yes. it calls itself. Out. So, yeah. God damn it. It's I've, really fucking good. What what all that adds up to for me is then when when Jada Pinkett is is killed in front of everyone and everyone thinks it's an act. And she goes up right in front of the screen and dies and the way like the audio, all the audio cuts out, and we just hold on her. Like people that was, start taking this, their ghost face masks off. Right. That was it's very good. It was truly, truly just chilling and like a- affecting. Like yeah, God, and and that's 
But and that's what we come for for this. So it's just how brilliant to make it so with the start of this sequel to actually not just being a direct continuation, but actually still being able to deliver by mm-hmm. and doing that by commenting on the first one, which is where we're at. Oh, it's it's so incredible. Again, meets us at our level, meets us where we're at. Well, and and then to carry on, like the next scene we see Sydney in her new sort of status quo, which is great. And then she has to be reminded of this, you know, that, oh shit, this is happening. But I, what I really appreciate is the following scene, which is the film class scene. (laughs) And they right uh, right again, they head on hit the, the big question of are people motivated by the art that they consume? And is that what's, the causation of bad behavior and that debate in the classroom is like a really really like solid version of that debate like you get the different things you also get the killer literally calling it out in this in what is it the third scene of the movie i think yeah he he basically says the the that he's the killer like he 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 states the theme of his motivation in that scene which is great it also that scene just because they're also debating uh well are there any sequels that are actually (laughs) better than the first one so it almost is and randy's straight up like sequels are never you know the sequels always suck they're the worst um it immediately like puts you that's why he gets killed right (laughs) well it makes you receptive (laughs) to to I don't know. It just it just helps you maybe just take off your critics hat a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and just sort of get on board and have fun with it. When like the filmmakers are like, "Listen, we're, you know, we aren't, we're overthinking it the right way," <laughs> you know, right, right. No, it's it's really. I just think that the the first fifteen minutes, twelve minutes of the movie are some of the better sort of like ways to, well, just to address the 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 critical eye and get you on board and get you sort of like to just sit back and relax and enjoy the thing instead of being like oh is it gonna be as good as the first one yeah it's just sort of is like we know just shut up just watch you know it's like yeah. <laughs> well what you you mentioned i want to mention something in that scene you got to um that you mentioned want to mention something you mentioned earlier with jerry o'connell <laughs> Um, in that it's pretty soon in it, the scene where um, Sydney first gets attacked and we don't see Jerry O'Connell get sliced. Right. Because as it's just as far as an example of what it's doing, why it's so brilliant. Like, of course, okay, so it knows, we know that we're suspecting the boyfriend and that now it's possible in horror movies, thanks to the first scream, to sort of be thinking of and ruling out as an audience member, are they intentionally giving themselves injuries to mm-hmm. fake their their innocence. Um, so then, but what's so brilliant is we know, because the movie is showing it, that to us, we know it is aware of that, which means that it really can go either direction. <laughs> because you, yeah. see, you see what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like at that moment, basically all bets are off completely for the rest of the movie. You just, right. you can't know. Because since it know it, yeah, you got what I'm saying. <laughs> like the filmmakers know that they that they want you to not know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they are 
very purposefully doing things to make you go, wait, why are they holding on Jerry O'Connell and why is the like ominous music happening three times in a row every time a scene ends with him <laughs> in it? You know, like that's a little heavy handed, but like, are they they're well, fucking with th- us? That's right? it is because they know it's heavy handed, which means that that could be a technique for throwing us off there. That's, that's what right. I was, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. It, it really is because in the first movie. They did the same thing with fucking Billy, and he was the fucking killer. It's kind of like, right, it's kind of like the Princess Bride, like, did you poison my drink thing? Well, I know you're someone who would poison my drink, <laughs> which right. means I put it in it. But you can do that ad, ad nauseum, which is what, yeah. that's, which yeah. is what this is essentially doing. Yeah, um, it's, it's almost like filmmaker's devil's advocate. Yeah. Like, they can just fuck around and be like, well, but, but, what about this? Right constantly and they do (laughs) and then they have randy do it (laughs) on top of that so so just also getting what we want from a sequel is just kind of the fun of the getting more time with these characters expanding on them just of the as far as their them as individuals in their in their interactions like great just having more um randy fan favorite Mm -hmm. You know, the the, the horror fan built it, doing his purpose is great. Um, I was just, my favorite character in this one, Tim, like they they found is Dewey. He's so, he's just so, so idiosyncratic and like lovable and interesting and weird and just like deserves that funny theme song he has. Like, (laughs) so good. And, and, you know, his scenes with Gail, he has that like, you mean like, the, 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 like the Twin Peaks baseline song that, that comes in? It's actually the theme. It's, um, it's a Hans Zimmer, um, piece to, um, what was it? Um, the film, um, uh, I forget, um, Broken Arrow. They took, <laughs> it was a temp song that they used from Broken Arrow that okay. they were like, you know what? This just, this just is Dewey's theme. We can't imagine being anything else. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, when we first see him, it looks like he was just like dropping out of a plane. He looks so confused, <laughs> you know, when Sydney sees him. <laughs> Drop and, out of a plane without a parachute, land like crippled by the landing. Oh yeah, no, his yeah, his injury. Very, very talk about, you know, increase the endearing factor on yeah. him. But that little monologue, that the monologue, but like that 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 line he like just um delivers to courtney cox like oh where he's God. basically like he's basically in essence saying is my whole maybe my whole barney fife nice guy thing is just an act to better maneuver around you know situations he, yep. but he says it you know it's so good it's yeah, yeah it's but great. that's also part of the nuance like i i guess here's what i th- here's here's an overarching way to look at why i think this movie is working so well And I think we kind of – it's kind of in the first one. We talked about this too. They're doing it in a slightly different way. Um, So in the first one, we talked about how you have – the two killers have very different sort of motivations, right? You have this philosophical motivation of sort of nihilistic attitude. And then you have the actual – like, and that's – Oh shit! What was his name? Seth, Sebastian, Scotty, uh, Stewart, <laughs> Stu, Stu. Yeah, yeah there we, the we got that. Okay, you have him, and it's just sort of nihilistic, and we're just doing it because we're doing it, right? There's this philosophy version of it, and then you have Billy, who's doing it for literally for revenge. 
in a weird way in this movie, all the characters are uh, possessing both of those things all the time. So what I mean by that is Dewey is he's by action, like his actual motivation is, is potentially incriminating himself, right? Like he, he's suspicious by his demeanor and his, like why he's even there, like the physical actuality of him. And this is true for all. It seems like pretty true for all the characters. It makes us suspect him, but philosophically He's also saying, I could be a suspect. And there's this, uh, that's not a great way of explaining what I mean, but there's this duality essentially within every character that endears us to them because it's based in actual character motivation and this philosophical suspicion because their character motivation is somewhat incriminating because we're in a world where anybody could be the killer. Right. So you're saying, yeah, at any given moment, when we tune into the idea that one of them is innocent, we become, we sympathize with them. Yeah. Yeah. But also go, oh shit, but maybe that that's, that's the tell that they could be the bad guy. <laughs> right. Like Dewey, they call it out, right? Like, I think Randy is like, What's up with the limp? You got stabbed in the back. Yeah. Like it creates this suspicion and they do it with all of the characters, right? Like uh, Jerry O'Connell, they do it with, oh, he's a doctor. So he would know exactly how to cut his arm without hurting himself. Okay. Now he's a suspect. Like we, right. like they, they create this duality, and, and his whole motivation is kind of this. It's the, it's the other side of the coin of Billy. He genuinely cares about Sydney, but, and we live in a world where this, this gray area of how you, what lens you view people through changes how you think that their, uh, their motives, like where they come from. So Jerry O'Connell, totally genuinely in love with Sydney, but through the lens of yeah, but the last person who I thought was totally in love with me tried to kill me. Completely changes how we viewed him, and we cannot see him truthfully. We just can't. It's colored by the experience yeah. of the first movie. And yet, he's completely innocent. He's tragic. He gets the worst shit end of all of this, <laughs> right? He does. He's like a totally good dude. After he sings his heart out in front of, I mean, really, the whole lunch but room. like we we because of the experience, we see we're constantly suspicious of him. Right. His behavior, really genuinely beautiful, like loving, caring, concerned behavior, constantly looks suspicious to us. Yeah. That's fucked up. Well, but that's and, so good. So that duality yeah. of like actuality in motivation versus suspicion from the other lens or through the other lens from the outside is creating this constant gray area for everybody. It's it exists with cotton. It literally like literally exists. It is manufactured by Lori Metcalf's character. Right. She actually says she's somebody else. And what's what's so cool is it's working on two levels too because you're kind of describing it on the level of how 
my own basic human instincts. Am I trusting this person or not? But then it's also operating on our knowledge of movies and That's slasher right. movies. But I think I think we said this about the last one. So much of what is making the the first one work so well is that we care about the characters. They're well formed. They all have very very specific point of views that we can get behind. Right. That's still happening in this one. Well, I got us this squeeze in. I just want to say my last favorite Dewey moment Ooh, was yeah. when um was in that scene as in the the little like teaser trailer that we watched with just when um when Randy tells him killer you could be the killer and he kind of like you know gets a fan at first but then realizes like oh yeah maybe i am <laughs> you know kind of thing yeah. I forget what he <laughs> says but just how he plays that is he's just, like good point let's move on yeah he just kind of raises one eyebrow it's just i love him <laughs> he does a weird funny like three beat squint raise eyebrow like look away thing yeah that's like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> that. <laughs> Good point. As if he almost like was for just a slight moment, like thinking that maybe he was the killer. Right. <laughs> like as if right. <laughs> oh, maybe I should be a suspect. <laughs> dude, like exactly. you'd know though, dude. <laughs> it's so funny. But would I? Yeah. Uh yeah, so I, I think that that's a pretty overarching thing, but character character, really, really solid character st- stuff, and then that allows us to kind of live in the gray area because we we've the whole thing is predicated on you really can't trust anybody well we talked about the big great opening now how about that's a good transition to the big great ending because what you're talking about we aren't the only ones in that position of do we gotta trust jerry o'connell or not Um, Mm -hmm. but sydney is i thought talk about just doing the exact satisfying character and moment screenplay movie thing that you want to do of forcing her into a choice that mm. says something about her whole plight. So we yeah. have the the confirmed killer, Mickey, the mask off. And then we have Jerry O'Connell. I'm just going to keep calling that. Derek is up there <laughs> hanging after his frat prank. Um, but Mickey tells Sydney, no, he's, what does he say? He's, he he tells him that he is the killer and he's yeah he lost. says yeah. he was my partner right 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 but he disappeared tonight because he got grabbed by his frat buddies right so and Sid- i had to do this all on my own i yeah. think the lesson is n- you can ne- never ever believe the bad guy once he's identified himself as the bad guy i think that that that, that should be like a horror movie rule <laughs> No, but it's it's just like the thing we were talking about of us, the audience, never knowing yeah. who we can if the movie knows. Because then all of a sudden, just by bringing up the very idea, Sydney then thinks, well, maybe that he is he's he knows that I would think that because he's a bad right. guy, he's lying, which is why he's saying it. Like, again, yeah. it's it's that same logic where just by him saying it at all, you just don't know. So, so this, this is this is, you know. In comic book uh, culture, this is like the constant um, moment that that we that we get on board with with our heroes. It's the impossible choice like moment. Yeah. Right. So Superman, you know, does he save Lois or does he save all of humanity? Right. Like you're constantly putting uh the two biggest problems that he could have into the same boat 
they do it with Spider-Man. They, they do it with everybody, right? What's actually happening and why this is so genius and why we love it so much, if you really break it down into nuts and bolts storytelling, what's happening is you take a protagonist and good protagonists have an external struggle and an internal struggle. And those two things should be at odds. And usually you watch a character spend most of the movie worrying about their external struggle and ignoring their internal struggle until things come to a head. And those two things intersect at the choice moment, which is this moment. Yeah. That's really, really good character storytelling. It's like, Mm -hmm. like, a long, long history of like, that's how you do protagonists, right? Like that's one of the nuts and bolts rules you get taught of like, Hey, things to make sure you've got, like, does your main character have these two things? It could be multiple things, right? Like you have, you can have a whole series of these, but at its core, it's the external and the internal. Hers is exactly that. The external fucking issue is that there's a guy trying to kill her. The internal is, who do I trust? Right. Like, who do I at my core believe is truthfully like a good person? Well, it's it's more it's more specific than that. It's can I trust my boyfriend after the last one killed me? Actually, it's even or more. Tried to kill it's me. even more simple than that. Can I trust my own instincts? Right. Well, I Which, don't think she knows what they are. Is the thing that's the but struggle. that's what that's yeah. the beauty of it is that the external fucking conflict has. It's the same thing that I was saying about the lens that we see things through. That external conflict has colored her ability to believe her instincts. Mm-hmm. And we are met with that moment and she she fails the test. Like yeah. she can't do it. And so that's really smart third act work because then it forces us into how do I redeem that failure in the next five minutes of the story or 10 minutes of the story or the or next whatever. uh or the third one in the trilogy <laughs> sure sure exactly because you gotta imagine she's gonna be pretty messed up after killing her innocent boyfriend essentially or making the wrong choice you know yes <laughs> so, yeah she's not gonna get over that in the five minutes i mean minutes a therapist up. would say it's not her fault. She had no control over that, right? Like, Wait, but, no, no, but, no. But you remember the line in The Babysitter 2, Tim? Where it's like, I know a therapist. Your parents would just tell you it's not your fault. But I'm going to tell you that's fucked up and it's something you're going to have to live with. <laughs> it's just some part of life. That kind of thing. Yeah. The little dude from Babysitter's Right. Yeah. No, it's... he's it's, like No, he says, I can't tell you... I can't tell you it is your fault, but I can't tell you it's not your fault. But I can tell you it hurts a lot. And that's a pain you're going to have to live with. That's wow. Says something like that. Cole, you can tell dropping I mean, knowledge. I told you I was so into Babysitter too. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, this is all to say that that's, that's good shit. We, you, don't have to, you don't have to know any of this to enjoy the movie. Yeah. But the movie is enjoyable because of this. Yeah. I mean, just more stuff on that last set piece. I loved, Mm. um, I mean, yeah, I already kind of mentioned it. Laurie Metcalf's big monologue. Like you have to have, in order for that to work, the final killer monologue, it's fun and you want it. And they still do it in the scream self-aware way where it's like, like, like it feels silly to just give it to us. But at the same time, we want it and we're so happy when it's happening. 
She just kills it. And same thing with Tim. Like, you know, when they set up based off of the first one, how, oh, the killer's not dead. When you think uh, when you think the killer is dead, you know, it always comes back for one final jump scare. Well, I knew because we had just watched the first one. I'm like, well, of course they aren't going to do it because, you know, I told I love that. And then Billy pops up in the first one. Blah. She, you know, shoots him one final one final <laughs> jump scare. So so I'm like, wait, it, it just did that thing in this one with not the one that they're looking down at the killer. They're looking down at doing the pop-up, but we have Mickey who we've kind of forgotten about is the one who gives us the pop-up jump scare, final, final, uh, final shootout little moment. Got to kill the bad guy, the big bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's just so satisfying where it's just doing that thing where it's like, Oh, I, I want it. And I almost feel silly for wanting it, but then it gives it to you in that way. That's just unexpected. Incredible. Incredible. And I thought, Wait, anything on that? I was going to move into the setting, the like the significance of the setting. Right, wait, wait, hold on, hold on that. Just the very last thing about this, how they, how they're defeating the bad guys here on the end. Just another brilliant example of the talking to the audience thing. When we have Sydney. So, so when, yeah, um, Laurie Metcalf, what is it? Mrs. Loomis, she's lying on the ground and we're so trained from, you know, having watched so many slashers over the decades that we, you know, the audience is always yelling about, well, just to shoot them in the head, just make sure they're dead, make sure they're dead, you know? And maybe we were feeling a little bit of that in this one too, where it's like, just, just do her, make sure she's dead. So Nev Campbell, um, sorry, Sydney, she does do it, but it's almost like it's a, it's like a surprise because it's built a reality where these aren't like, monsters you know they they can't actually you know that they can die you know they don't have superpowers they're dead you're dead so there was something that did feel excessive and unnecessary and sort of maybe cruel in the moment of sydney shooting her in the head or just kind of unhinged or unnecessary let's say so it did something really interesting i thought and this little moment where it's sort of saying, "Hey, audience, we know you're you're maybe a lot you're thinking this and wanting this, so we're going to give it to you." Aha! Didn't that feel kind of like was that as good as you made it feel? Didn't you see it like that? It was unnecessary and unnecessary mm. violence. I don't know. It kind of said, I don't know. Is interesting. It's interesting kind of commentary in, in some way, or so it just was it allowed for a moment of sort of audience self reflection. I thought. Yeah. No, I agree that there was something poignant about that it like was meant i think sydney as a character meant it to be cathartic but it's 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 kind of tragic in its own way like we go jesus like that's where we're at that's it it feels kind of gross yeah and that's good obviously because then we get the we get the come back to life moment just after that <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is great or or sorry we right actually get it. a really brilliant moment no so wait um god now i don't remember she shoots mrs loomis in the head before or after courtney cox does their her little jump scare coming out of the oh i think courtney cox comes up last or maybe they're the ones who are because no because they both courtney cox and so gail and sydney shoot mickey oh right right together so i think the order of events was 
Courtney Cox. We think, yeah, I think we think that Mrs. Loomis is going to come back to life and Courtney Cox scares us by coming right. out of the thing. Pull her up, shoot Loomis in the head, think everything's okay, and then Mickey comes up and they both shoot him. Right. So it's 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 a really good series of <laughs> of ways to fuck with you. Right. Well, just kind of last logistical brilliant thing I thought that they did with them, that ending was even though we had Gail Weathers like lying down there, you know, um, and we had Dewey turns out not to be dead. It didn't, it didn't go for like what the first one did of the, um, you know, the, the save the day moment where someone who's been injured comes back, saves the day. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was so cool because what that not only is it, you know, just makes it interesting if you can avoid that because, you know, we already talked about Nev Campbell, I'm sorry, Sydney being, you know, put in a position where she has to make the choice. But then same with um, Cotton Cotton Weary. He had to make a choice too in that moment. So just, I don't know. I think by not having the whole someone comes and saves the day thing, they made it. So um, I don't know. It was just chock full of good little character moments. I, or, I or really like Cotton showing up. I think that really, really works. And his confusion as to what's going on gives us this sense of like, we're kind of him in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Whereas previously we were more Sydney. Um, I think that there's something really nice about getting his confusion. Well, I think part of what, what's good about it is that we're still suspicious of him in spite of knowing full well that he has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> right. Like shit. So right. we're well, kind of getting like gotten jer- by, by he was that. a jerk. He was a jerk to her earlier. That's true. He's very, yeah. he's very, you know, set up as self-serving and selfish. And he, he very might as well have been, I think, you know, it plays like he's debating it in the moment where he actually is considering going with killing Sydney in order to achieve, you know, that right, of fame. Right. So, yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. So what were you going to say? What did you want to say on, um, I know we definitely have to talk about it. The end well, set piece being a theater. I well, a it's sage. it's 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 really specific, and I think it's fucking great because it doesn't really matter in any grand way. But it's like th- these little touches of storytelling that are fucking cool. So for one thing, you you go, you've got it. It, it there's a bunch going on. <laughs> Number one, they're in college. What do we associate with college? Greek life, right? There's sororities. There's this whole thing of like Derek giving her his his sorority necklace or his fraternity necklace when they're going steady. So there's all this Greek, college Greek like uh, tropes going on. These these little nuanced things to get us in that that mindset. But then they are they're doing thematically. They're doubling up on that by creating. Uh, the theater that the play that she's in, which is a Greek tragedy, it's the it's Cassandra. But on top of that, we are watching a Greek tragedy, right? Like in its essence, that's essentially what this type of story is. Like Greek tra- tragedies were were by and large fucking slashers in and of themselves for that time. You know, lots of death, lots of blood, lots of like tragedy. Could you, you know, work work into what you're saying? How there is an earlier scene of her um, 
at, you know, performing at the on the stage. Oh, dude, I, that scene is so good. So like when she's rehearsing for the play that she's been cast in, which she's been told explicitly by the head of the department or the director of the play or whatever, who I love that actor. David Warner. Yep. He's like, this is your role. You are this character. So the character Cassandra is, uh, I'll, I'll read it to you. This is off of some website. So, okay. According to uh, Aeschylus' tragedy, Agamemnon, Cassandra, who was loved by the god Apollo, the sun god, who promised her the power of prophecy, if she would comply with his desires... Cassandra accepted the proposal, received the gifts, and then refused the god her favors. Um, so he, she wouldn't tell him the what she would see. And then, so Apollo gets revenge on her by saying that all of her prophecies would never be believed. And then she accurately predicted events like the fall of Troy, uh, the death of Agamemnon, uh, but everybody didn't believe her. And then Later, she gets raped, which is really awful. Um, basically, because people don't believe her, they're like, oh, she's full of shit. She's not worth anything. Um, and so this, let's see, at the end, blah, blah, blah. Um, she was murdered later by a- Agamemnon. Um, and then whatever, whatever. Like, well, that's we're... basically, she, she's super tragic, right? But like this all falls kind of it's really smart for them to pick this particular Greek figure because Sydney, by and large, was is never really believed by like the authorities. Right. Like, but that's the external thing again. She's she's at the mercy of these men who want to want something from her. Like they're all in love with her and they want something from her. And it's like it's she's being kind of pushed around by them. And then even when she thinks she knows what's up, they're like, nah, nah, like that's bullshit. Or like they she's constantly getting men telling her what she needs to do. And so there's a nice overlap in that. I mean, they obviously picked this purposefully and sort of framed things around it that way. But it's just a really good touch, right? Like, it's good to get that. And then it leads us to this moment where she herself, we 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 revert or we move into her internal way of seeing the world as an effect of all of these things, which is her trying to listen to the the director of the play in this particular example and being like okay you're right i can do this i was meant to be this part let me give my performance and in that performance she's seeing things she's seeing ghost face come after her you could take that as a a one-on-one she is seeing the prophecy of what's going to happen right and it yeah. and it scares the shit out of her and causes the whole thing to kind of come to a halt and it like motivates her later to be like, I don't trust anybody. Like I don't even trust myself. So then we're, we're now in her internal conflict, which is, can she trust herself? So these, these things are dancing around each other in a really, really nice way that, you know, you don't have to, again, you don't have to know any of that. And we still get it. Like we still sort of absorb all of that feeling. I mean, it's obviously why Greek tragedy stories are still kind of around, right? Like we, they, they, they stand the test of time, right? Like they're the best stories. Everything's fucking based off of them. 
Um, and they came from something like they're not the end all be all right. They, there were things before them that got us to that. But like, it's just proving the point that like when you are well versed in all of the layers of what good, like what goes into good storytelling, you can take a movie like the sequel to a slasher film from the 90s, which ostensibly should be shit and make really good storytelling. So the Greek stuff, having all of that and weaving all that in, I just think is fucking kind of brilliant. I mean, I knew as soon as there was a play in the movie that she was in. I'm like, oh my God, Tim's going to get so excited at like whatever <laughs> this play is and how what the play is has significance for the movie and sit, like right. all that stuff. I just do. So yeah, I mean, I would. just, I personally eat that shit up because that's well, what I came from. But it's, like, it's great. It's funny because, I mean, I, I'm glad I could count on you to cover that angle, but talk about the significance of the, um, of the stage and the theater. Like, my my mind goes to the um, what else it's doing, which is just the fact that it is a place of artifice and entertainment, and mm, it's just mm-hmm. another level of the meta ness. The the uh, having a oh, the story so be told on a place where stories are told, and know? having having her literally cut the ropes that hold up the edifice, yeah, with an axe is fucking brilliant <laughs> right and it's great when she's getting like blocked in by the walls when they're falling down in front of yeah. her she can't escape like oh. it is a play happening oh the metaphors abound <laughs> and the meta fours <laughs> oh man great, great, i great. think we sh- we can end the show on that <laughs> <laughs> we did so it so long um any, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. We just had to cover the, the the big beginning, the big ending, everything in between. So good. We already mentioned it. Love Jerry O'Connell uh, singing his heart out, which is mm-hmm. so funny. Um, and again, there's, there's all sorts of twisted things where you're like, oh my god, what if he is the killer and he's <laughs> he's standing on the table singing in front of the whole school? Like, what a way to get us to kind of try to look yeah. the other way. Well, from um, an editorialized point of view, too off topic sort of this is why dating is difficult right because we yeah we live in a world where we we've seen a lot of stories we 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 know about serial killers we know about the horrible things that go on in the in the real world and it makes it really hard to trust anybody i don't know dating's hard for other reasons for me i already told you i'd be the first to die in the horror movie if it was like (laughs) a seductress or whatever (laughs) like (laughs) I'm gone. <laughs> sure, I'll trust you. You're pretty. <laughs> yeah, right. That's Horrible. funny. Um, um, so let's see what else. Uh, I think I have to just say, like the cast of like just every face you see being a recognizable like person that you. I, I don't know. I if you had the same experience, but I was like, oh fuck yeah, I love this person. Oh, it's, I mean, they're in this shit. I love them. It was yeah. I mean, nonstop so- for the first like twenty minutes of the movie. I was like, holy shit. It was that combined with just the joy of seeing them like deliver for their little section. Like this is mm-hmm. Sarah Michelle Geller's big scene. This is her, you know, scene where she's on the phone with him and to her death scene. By the way, like just talk about the some of the deaths in it. The Sarah mm. Michelle Geller's excuse me, Sarah Michelle Geller's literal backstab, like that. I felt that. That one yeah. hurt. That yep. one was really intense, hard to watch. 
Again, then gets so great when she gets thrown <laughs> off the balcony, though, too. And it's like the <laughs> slow-mo fall, but the scream is not slow-mo. So it's like timed, like, you know, she's really taking that long to fall. I just love that. Effect. You know, I didn't I, I didn't really think about this much, but just now I'm having the thought. Who are let's can we let's go through who are the who are all the killer uh, the deaths let's see let's see the first one is is um well the first one is Omar Epps right and Jada Pinkett yeah yeah he gets it in does he get it in the back yes he gets it in the back no he gets it in the side of well, the head in the mouth first but he's still oh, right, alive right 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 I think he gets it in the back I think. And then Jada gets it in the stomach mostly. She gets it a bunch in the theater. But she yeah. she gets it in the back as well. Uh uh Sarah Michelle Geller gets it in the back. Uh let's see. Randy we don't really see but he gets grabbed from behind. Yeah. Uh who else dies? Uh oh the 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 best friend she gets oh, right. grabbed In from behind. Scene. Yeah. Everybody's the... getting it from behind. Dewey gets it from behind. Yeah. Right? Like, it's an interesting sort of... I don't know if it has a bigger meaning in any real way, but it, it, it does sort of... It speaks to the methodology of the killer. That they kind of don't... They can't do it head on. I think it was... I see it more as the on the film itself versus the killer of just for whatever reason it felt right. It worked to have these um, sort of surprise mm-hmm. scares, you know, in a way. I don't know. Yeah, there's, I don't know. I don't know how nuanced those decisions were, but like it, it's interesting kind of food for thought to me. Like I, I think it's really effective one way or the other. Like you're saying, like when – Sarah Michelle Geller gets it in the back. We go, Ooh, right? But fuck. like you pointed, it just—I guess why I said why I said why I just thought of like Randy gets grabbed from behind into the van, and then um, the roommate friend uh, uh, Hallie Haley she gets you know surprised, mm-hmm. you know, jumped out from behind something, grabbed from the back. I just saw that similarity. Um, yeah, I got to mention I loved. Uh, it was so funny when you have. Uh, the movie, the first one being remade in this one. So just like seeing Luke Wilson play <laughs> Billy Loomis and then That's right with a horrible wig on, which is so good. Right. And then of course the reference to the first one with Tori spelling as, as herself, <laughs> essentially because Sydney in the first one says, why don't you get Tori spelling to play me or whatever. <laughs> right. And they do. Oh, it's so me- it's just the meta-ness is really crazy. Can't take it. I I mean, you know, talk about, you know, where the movie tells you exactly what it's doing and does it just like in the little trailer we watch. More kills, more elaborate, you know, kill scenes. So, I mean, I was relishing in that with the big the big car scene, the set piece. It's like just how Oh, that how... dude's head. Right, right. Fuck. The detectives. <laughs> Man, does he get it? But yeah, how big of a scale, like all of a sudden when you're watching it, if you're like, oh man, this is cooler. This is different from the first one. They're using their budget. You have this full on just like pedal to the metal, you know, people hanging off the front of the cars and then mm-hmm. ending in that that death of the pull through the head. It's just, it's just great. It's like, you know what? This is <laughs> what I want from the sequel. Thanks for telling me and thanks for delivering. 
Yeah. Nah, it's good <laughs> shit. Yeah. At first that um that feeder scene where you know you kind of touched on it where where we see her rehearsing and she like is thinking she maybe does or doesn't see Ghostface among them all. Um I just at first it seems so almost like out of place or over the top, but as soon as it just kept going for, I'm like, no, this is great. This is, I, I, I was in love with that scene by the end. Just once I realized kind of what it was all doing and that they did just go for it. I thought yeah, it was great. I, it's, it's just, it's operatic. It's, I love that. Like yeah. it's just, it's bigger scaled storytelling. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. And you know, using the college setting anyway, yeah. clearly we liked this movie. Dare lo- say loved it, loved enough to to put it next to Scream on our shelf. On our sel- shelf, uh, will Scream three and Scream four continue that trend? Tim, mm. we shall find out soon enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a prediction, Cassandra style. Nobody will believe me, but my prediction is no. They'll be shitty. Uh, I mean, I've <laughs> I've <laughs> I feel I'm more familiar with them at this point, so I'll just. <laughs> Monster. I'm not at all. Actually, there's a trailer for Scream 4 at the beginning of the Blu-ray that I we saw watched. It and I'm like, oh, Tim better was, skip this. I was really pissed off. I was you like, actually no! watched it. I I mean I got through it, but I I I've You na- hit I've, the chapter forward button, man. I didn't know I could until it was like halfway through. I was like, fuck. I, I basically I, just averted myself. I literally thought I'm like, Kim Tim better hit the chapter forward button. <laughs> and well, what it made me realize is I a thousand percent have not seen that movie. Okay. I had no idea. Blah, 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 blah. You're plugging in your ears. I mean, really? Great. <laughs> um, well, first we got three to get to first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get to three, unless there's anything else you want to see on screen to what did work, we got to see if there's anything that did not work. No, I think, you know, it's a good movie. All right, here we go. Scream 2, what did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? (laughs) I just had that one little tiny thing where it sounds like you, that for you the movie explained it. I didn't pick up on it. But I was just so frustrated when she didn't, grab the mask off of Ghostface in the car. Like, you can't have her do it in that moment, so I get it's really hard to play. But they could have done something of just, like... I agree. He he moves a little bit, and they run, or something. But, like, even her saying, oh, it's it's, I gotta go back. It'll just take a minute. I'm like, no, it takes two seconds. And you could have done it, like, without slowing down at all. It's just (laughs) silly, but I just... Yeah, there there are some... There are some contrivances in that scene that made me just kind of go, what the hell? So the whole thing of them, her not being able to get the door open, it's like unlock, unlock the doors in back from front. That's how cop cars work. Right. You know what I mean? And like, we all know that we've seen that a lot. I was willing to forgive that one just because I I did love them climbing over. I I did too, but like, if you're going to do it, you know, you got to give it a little bit more. Right, like the back door is not working. It's broken, yeah, whatever. No problem. They kind of just skim by that. (laughs) His hand is on the the lock or something. (laughs) Sure, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like you're saying, if like when she's sitting next to him, have her 
I mean, she does reach for it, right? Yeah, the, that's and the this is so frustrating why she didn't. Because she's like, just don't do it, don't. And I'm like, why do it? Yeah, like just have his head nod, like yeah. have him move. That that'd be a really good jump scare. And then he, if everybody freezes, and he doesn't keep moving. Then it's even more scary because maybe he's faking it. Maybe he is yeah. going to grab it. Like they missed a couple little opportunities to give us a scare and a suspense while explaining why she didn't do it in that moment. The horn honk was so good, though. <laughs> the horn honk was great. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I was a little, I was just like, ah, come on, come on. Um, my only other thing is I just think that there wasn't enough Sydney. Like there's a whole, I don't know. There's felt like a whole chunk of the movie where we kind of never really got in with her. And then suddenly we're with her at the theater. And I was like, wait, what, what? I didn't even know she was an acting yeah, student. Like, like that, that seemed like it was out of order or something. Like, like we maybe there's a scene missing that didn't make the cut of her and the director early on. Even that, I mean, it's just I think could be a way of how the scenes are done too, where it's like you do have all these great sort of more um, extroverted um, supporting actors, roles, characters. So like, you know, Jerry O'Connell singing up on the tables. It didn't feel like. You know, it could have been played away that was like, this is on Sydney and how she is feeling about trusting him or not. But it just, it, it just felt more like it was about showcasing Jerry O'Connell singing, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, I loved it, but I'm just trying to think of maybe why you're, why you're getting that, which I, I totally see. Yeah. It's hard because you don't want to, you know, <laughs> you want to give everybody kind of their fair you know, kind of amount of time for us to care enough about whether or not they might be the killer or whether or not they might die. Like we want to weave in those story, like those subplot stories enough, but like this, this movie, I think the one criticism I I really have is that it become, it, it, it gets dangerously close to introducing the killer and then never seeing him again until the end. Hmm. And that's you do not want to suffer from that. I think that's that's cheap. You know, we we do get a few scenes with Timothy Oliphant throughout, but we don't quite get enough. It's a tricky. It's a really fine line to to be on. Like it's it's you got to navigate it delicately. Thought it was still fair game it, when it, it was, was him. pretty good. But like, I'm not saying they did it wrong. I'm saying they came dangerously close to doing it wrong yeah he was in it a little less if it was if he had one fewer scenes i'd be pissed off i think they actually realized that in the editing and there was a scene where he's sort of commiserating with sydney and it's just the two of them i want to say at the, it's the in, police it's station in the, hosp- it's the in hospital it's in the hospital that oh, was wait, maybe of- it is the police station I think they kind of added... No, it's in the hospital when Jerry O'Connell's getting bandaged. Right. They added that in really late in the game where they said that was just like a totally like fabricated set that they threw together just to put that scene together. I mean, that it's necessary. And if, they it did, didn't, if that didn't happen, oof. They did tough. the same thing with um, Laurie Metcalf's character where she shows up right after the fake Dewey death scene of, you know... Of Gail mm-hmm. getting attacked, where she's like already out there at the van, and that's Gail runs out to her and grabs right. the mic. Uh, she almost wasn't going to be there for that moment, but that was important wow. to have her wow. there too. Yeah, well, they made the right choice because that's a tricky thing. You, you just 
Yeah, you gotta <laughs> stay in touch with the bad guys without yeah. showing your hand too much, and that's hard. But you know, you gotta do it, right? So wait, the, I, don't none really, of the, <laughs> I don't really have anything else. None of the, so that really was a thing that worked because they did it. And it <laughs> yeah, so that was. I even, guess. I guess. Like, so that was just a sort of stern. Got a little close there, guys. It wasn't yep. even a <laughs> slap <laughs> so on the wrist. Worked. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, outside of that, I, I think for all of the talk of it of the kills being bigger and and a higher body count, it seems like kind of right on par. It didn't seem like there was that much more body count, was there? Well. Just you wait for three and four because there's more screen <laughs> okay. to come. Great. I don't know. Other than that, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I thought I it was pretty well to, to th- complain about. I thought it was pretty well paced just as far as like amount of kills, frequency of kills when they happened, amount with Sydney. I don't know. I was I, I liked it. I, I, I could have just I, well, used a little more Sydney like. I could have used more. Something. I mean, what I mean, I could have used. I agree. I could use more her, but I wouldn't want to do it at the expense of the pacing that's there. That's true. No, that's true. There's, yeah, I don't know how you, mm, what I, what, what you could do to make me want, like feel more satisfied in that realm. Because like, it's more, mm. more like just her subjective, just more close with her. Just, I don't know. Yeah. Because we get close to it where she's getting a phone call and she's kind of like, fuck you. You know, like we see, see, here's the thing, like in the first movie, remember, we established she's super fucking smart. She's ahead of the game. She's smarter than everybody. Like, we love her for that. I think that's what I was kind of missing a little bit. We, we used Dewey and, and Gail as the kind of the, the detectives of we're going to figure out who it is more in this one and that's cool i enjoyed that stuff but it disconnects us from sydney she is playing victim a bit much more i mean yeah or or just playing because of course she's always the victim (laughs) but but no as far as maybe that is why i just got so excited about her having to make that choice at the end with the boyfriend was because we hadn't seen her have to do that much up until that point i do love at the beginning when she like the first thing that happens when stuff starts to go down i gotta talk to randy you know (laughs) yeah it's great (laughs) yeah that's it really for me though it's great 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 all right Final section here for Scream Dua. Things of note. Things of note! (laughs) This should be interesting. Quiz time, Tim. Okay, I'm ready. Hit me. All right, all right. You know this is some dismembering horror quiz time. You know, I know you love to do it and I love to give it. So two actors in this film have appeared in previous films of ours. Who are those oh. two actors and which films did they appear in that we've covered? Whoo, okay. Shit. Um do, 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 do. Wow. Man, I don't Should I give uh, you Okay, I'll give you hints. They're both male. Okay. One of them is older. One of them is younger. 
And the younger one appeared in flashback scenes of the film that we watched. <laughs> uh, uh, ooh. Um, Jesus. Um, I can't even remember who, what old dudes are in that. Well, is it the, the director guy? Ding, ding, ding. Oh, he is. What? Yeah. What was he in? That's right. Fuck was he in? Um, Shit. Tell he played, me. A, I don't he played a doctor in it as in like at a psychiatric ward. <laughs> Wait, he's not in asylum, is he? No. Psychiatric ward. Oh my God. With Sam Neill. Oh, he's in. Well, oh God. What's the. <laughs> which Sam Neill movie did we watch? <laughs> <laughs> I have a horrible memory. We've right watched. Now. I mean, we've already had this. We've had two Sam Neill in Des- Descent into Lovecraftian horror films. That's right. And we're doing the third one at some point. We're doing Event Horizon. In the Mouth of Madness? Correct. David okay. Warner, who was the theater director guy in this one, was a doctor. In the mouth of mad in in the mouth of madness. Okay. Now the younger actor from Scream Two. Can you remember which film we watched where he appeared in flashback scenes? It was the flashback scenes that told the story of an important haunted object, a magical object. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. No. And, and we were like, why is he in this movie? He hardly does anything. We had a lot of questions for this movie. Oh, God. I mean, that could be any of them. I can't even remember movies that we watched. <laughs> this, Jesus. This, this item that he was involved with uh, would grant your wishes. What? I just, I just told you the answer there, Tim. It was Wish Upon. Jerry O'Connell. Oh, my God. He was like, remember? No, wait, he's in the flat. Oh my God. Yeah. Wait, what are those flashbacks about? It's like, it's just some stupid thing where he's like the last guy oh, who he's... had the box. <laughs> That's right. He's like the doctor or like the lawyer or something that had bought the box. He's like some rich asshole who bought the box. Yeah. Oh my God. What the hell? Well, just goes to show you. Well, yeah. My not brain... Your... <laughs> I haven't had anything to eat today, so maybe that's it. Not your, uh, not your best <laughs> game, but no, that was horrible. But we'll, we have faith in it you. It was yet. good, good, uh, good content though. Just then, <laughs> keep you on your toes. <laughs> Great. God. Well, for some things to note, I did watch the director's uh, or the the commentary, which had Wes Craven, the producer, oh. and the editor. For kind of our little like trivia bit, things of note, we also just have things we were thinking about uh, that wouldn't fit into what worked, what didn't. Tim, tell me if there's anything to this thought that I had where we, we, we touch on in the show what horror is, where what its place in our world is. And it was hard not to dwell on that with the opening scene, especially with the sort of you know, people seemingly celebrate uh, the violence on screen, get excited Mm -hmm. about it. Um, But I think what, tell me this makes sense, this metaphor. Horror, it's a roller coaster into darkness. It's not that people are screaming because they are happy 
people are getting killed, but I think it's a communal, can be individual way to sort of go off into the deep end and do it in a way that involves it's, it's, it's screaming, yep. of, you know, fear. And you can look at it, you know, how, how we, we laugh, you know, things we don't understand or that are new or different in the face too. So I, agree I don't, with that. you know, I just, I just had that thought when watching, watching the group, the other, the packed theater, they make points saying it's a sold out theater that they aren't, there's a difference between celebrating a death and celebrating death. Right. Yeah. I think we've talked about this in, in various ways before, right? Like the roller coaster metaphor is actually really a good one because what's happening when you get on a roller coaster is that you are in a controlled way, getting the same chemical sort of release of all sorts of, you know, uh, dopamine and like, you know, the, the sort of the fear reaction that you get and the closeness to death in a controlled state allows you to appreciate your mortality and your, the fact that you're still alive and that's cathartic. Mm -hmm. And I think horror is doing, is a version of that same construct well, it's interesting because why like, we scream right what like it, you are releasing this sort of cathartic i'm still alive right feeling no a hundred percent but like what the context of this film does where they are essentially watching when they're watching stab they're essentially just us watching the first scream movie <laughs> right yeah yeah so rather than just being about catharsis i think it's about saying like what this points out in the first scene it's saying the first scream is a roller coaster we have been on we have confronted it together and now we're gonna go a little further thanks to having already gone on that first roller coaster totally it's cool yeah it's 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 the <laughs> it's the it's the previously on yeah that allows us to both be on board, but also caught up and ready for the next episode. Right. Without feeling whatever, not, it doesn't feel trite. It's actually really, it's, it's done in such a good way that it makes us feel even more accepting of the things to come. Yeah, absolutely. Go, oh, yeah. Well, it's yeah. all, you know, I say a roller coaster into darkness because we're talking horror films, but can also just be a roller coaster drop into the unknown is really yeah. what's happening here, which is art, you know, yeah. in, in general. Great. I um, just had a realization. Um, Loomis being her name, like that's a reference. Of course. It didn't really <laughs> occur to me in the first one. They were watching Halloween in the first one. I know. <laughs> Um, there's another thing that I saw that I thought was interesting. What was it? Uh, do, 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 do. I don't remember where I, I saw this shit. All right. Well, never mind then, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's so, good content too. Me looking for a thing. Always my favorite. Um, mm -hmm. so the commentary, it was. It was, it was, there's some stuff in it, but it was so funny because they are mostly just like, 
Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, it brings back a lot of good memories. And they just start they they went on listing like basically they just put everyone in the movie. Oh, here's here's Courtney Cox's sister and her kids and oh, here's our deep. I started keeping track. Some fun ones at the just just <laughs> just the first like, you know, 10 minutes, let's say. Uh Nev Campbell's stand-in was the ticket taker on the outside of the theater. Um, the, there was a contest to be in Scream 2 and that, that contest winner, she was the one on the inside handing out the masks and gets the line. That was fun. (laughs) The, um, the guy, when she takes a break to go get the popcorn guy selling the popcorn is the director of photography. And then we have (laughs) Kevin Williamson himself. The writer is the talk show host interviewing Cotton Weary when he see him on the TV at the beginning. Jesus Christ. And then it just goes on and on. It's really funny. <laughs> That's cool. But real you, family affair. Uh, affair oh, yeah. yeah. You know what I really like about this movie is trying to, like we talked about, figure out where it was filmed, like different different things. Um, yeah, you mentioned I kept the Vista. Thinking, right. Whenever I see bricks, I'm just like, oh, it's USC. But it was. It, yeah, it's not. It, it was Atlanta, right? Was the So it was both. A place called uh, Agnes Scott College, which is outside of Atlanta, and UCLA. Yeah, for a lot of the interiors, good old which, Ashla. Which surprised me because, yeah, you think you see that brick, and you, if you've been to USC, it's that's just where your brain goes. Because well, no, I so, think all the, all the brick stuff must have been in Atlanta, and then the interior. I think you're right. Were, the interiors. Were you know UCLA. what I I wondered, and I'm sure there's a way to look this up. There was a movie with Jeremy Piven that took place on a college campus where he's like an RA who's been there forever. And I don't remember the name of it, but I wonder if it's not the same campus. Cause that was about the same time. And, uh, it looked so familiar to me, but what I like is stuff that's in LA. Yeah. It gets me excited. So the, the movie theater, the exterior is a theater that is, uh, famous theater in South Pasadena that closed down a long time ago. I think it was, I don't know when it closed in the, maybe the, oh, probably the late nineties or early two thousands it closed. And it's just been sitting there and it's like dilapidated. It's a beautiful building. It's one of those, it's like a single, you know, single theater theater, um, or single projector theater. Yeah. Single screen theaters. Yeah. Right. Um, and I looked it up because I was like, oh, shit, is, did they I, – I was always under the impression or somebody told me that they were just going to demolish it. Um, it turns out that it's been bought by a developer who's going to try to, uh, re, like, turn it back into an old theater. Like, it, cool. what, what do you do? Do a full renovation to its what it was originally meant to be. I fucking hope that happens. Because it's such a cool theater. Then it'd be right next to the video store where we rent our Blu-rays It is. At. It's, it's probably, oh, I don't know. It's about four blocks from there. Yeah, and South Pass will really be where it's at. Yep. And uh, can, then can swing by the Halloween house, too. I know. I always wanted to go into that theater because I figured it was haunted, but it was locked up. Well, maybe you'll have your chance. I know. So... Wes Craven, just, yeah, okay, just sort of down the list, some a few little fun things from the commentary. Um, when they were talking about Jada Pinkett at the beginning, Wes Craven said, yeah, she sent me a complete set of steak knives for Christmas that year. Good <laughs> sense of humor. 
<laughs> oh, um, Jada. And he, uh, Wes Craven, he just seemed kind of like tickled and proud of, you know, all the, we're trying to like just really overanalyze here the meta aspect, what's going on in that opening scene. He just said, yeah, it is a, a horrible sort of trick. Let's take a look at what we're all enjoying here. Mm. <laughs> you know, force mm-hmm. us to look at it. Um, oh, so, you know, there was, it was interesting. This is an example of where it's pretty cool. This came out in 97. It came out less than a year after its first scream. Oh, that's that was something I was wondering. I couldn't remember what the time difference was between them. That's crazy. Less, yeah, so this was really pretty pretty gun rushed gun ho they were they were they were getting scenes you know written like the day of then revising it working it all together to figure it out but it was cool i think this is one of those examples where that because there just sounded like such a tight smart team who'd worked together before and just were smart and love the material and what they are working with in the world they just they're they're figuring it out when they had to just delivered and that's cool and in a lot of ways made for maybe a few more uh better moments where an example was apparently that scene when um uh is it yeah omar f's goes in and gets killed um in the bathroom that kevin williamson had just wrote written it as um he comes into the bathroom and wes makes it scary <laughs> like <laughs> but that's so smart because like let Wes Craven look at the bathroom, look at the scene, look at yeah. the context and figure out what's best. And it just was great because it plugged in. Do you remember like he puts his ear up close to it because he hears this weird whispering, that mm-hmm. that whispering stuff. It's so like hills have eyes You mm-hmm. know, it's made me think that's totally a Wes Craven thing and it makes sense he came up with that. Yeah, that's funny. Um, that was fun hearing in that specific example. Sarah Michelle Gellar does did her own stunts because she was doing Buffy at the time. Always did Ooh. her stunts for that. So that was that was her jumping off the the, the building into a big um what a pad. You know? Wow. Um already said yeah there were different fake endings including one where Dewey was the killer. Uh <laughs> last thing I had this was from the Wikipedia but I just thought it was kind of a fun more like example we like to bring up when it's there the MPAA and just the kind of the mystery that is them. So they went in with, I'll just read it. Um, Eager to avoid the same experience on Scream 2, Craven attempted to manipulate the MPAA by sending them a version of the film that had been edited to focus on and enhance the gore and violence present beyond what they actually wanted in the film, including reusing a clip of Omar Epps' character being stabbed in the ear. So it was like he's being stabbed three times. Um, instead of this the one they only wanted it once though um, extended scene of Randy's death that showed his throat being slashed certainly didn't even want to show that in the end Craven's reasoning was that the parts of the film they wished to keep would be more acceptable when viewed with the enhanced violence you know basically like yeah so then that way we can cut it down to what we want um so you know force them to remove the footage they already didn't want to keep however the mpaa just to you know to west craven surprise granted scream 2 an r rating for the more violent cut <laughs> as they believed the underlying message of the film was significant enough to warrant the violence oh my god like like pick just, the day right <laughs> it's just so there's such a weird organization <laughs> is that just funny though like 
Of course. It's like, of course. Like that you'd, that, that you'd feel like the only way to get what you want is to, he, that is a smart strategy you, where you have to like manipulate the situation, but it just points out how silly it is when you it is feel smart. like you have I mean, to manipulate it. I've, I've run into an issue with getting approvals for things before where, you know, like you've, you've got in the, in the script that you've written for the pleasure of reading like you you embellish things in a screenplay a lot of the time so that the read is good because you know you're going to be handing that off to people and you want them to to get in the sort of mindset of what you're trying to accomplish but like you also run the risk if you hand that embellished script over to get an approval for like whatever you know if you want like a permit or you want like um you know a location approval and they see, oh, you have, you know, you've got this scene where it's like described as something elaborate, but you know, in actuality, it's going to be really simply shot and you're not going to have this big over the top thing. You're just going to have a couple people. The reader often will think, holy shit, this needs like a stunt coordinator. It's going to have, you know, what are the prop like weapons looking like? What like how many vehicles are going to be involved? How many like do I need a pyro guy to show up? Do I need the FSO officer to, you know, the fire safety officer to, to like show up? Like you need all those things and that changes the cost of your permitting and blah, blah, blah. And all the while you're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's just in the script. Like we don't actually want to do any of those things. We just wanted the read to be good. So you learn like at times you have to actually like some Sometimes you have to really cut out embellishments in the script so that you can get your approvals because you don't want them to think you're doing things that you know you're not going to be doing because they'll just not give you the permit. They'll be like, no way. You don't have this or that or the other thing to, to accomplish this. So it's like it's a weird, tricky game sometimes when you're trying like these organizations, they they are gatekeepers in a lot of the, a lot of ways. And trying to navigate that can be. A headache, to say the least. <laughs> well, indeed. Um, was that all you had for things of note? Because that's all I had. Yeah, I don't have anything else. Oh, I mean, I remember the year this came out. Like, I remember... You remember 1997? Yeah, man, I graduated from uh, high school. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Do, do you remember? <laughs> no, I don't. Well, it's just so funny because, remember, I had seen the first one in the... Um, in the late winter, I think it was February or March of 97. And this came out in December of 97. Like that's fucking nuts. Yeah. Jesus. Same year as uh, tomorrow never dies. That, that <laughs> makes, that helps me picture the year, the fifth element, Jackie Brown, liar, liar, contact mimic Dante's peak, Batman and Robin. Oh, I know God. you did I... last summer. In and out, volcano, the borrowers chasing Amy, anacondas, because it gets lost world, mouse hunt, one of my favorites, L.A. Confidential, the relic. Anyway, it's it's amazing. A picture. Funny, kind of really like just saying those movies gives us like a oh yeah that year kind of feel. You know, <laughs> it sure does. I went. <laughs> this is embarrassing. I went to Batman and Robin with my friends in full cosplay. Jim. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> I was Robin. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and my buddy fucking like spray painted himself silver to to, to be like Mr. Free. It was, was this all so you, like, uncomfortable. Is this all you like your choir boy buddies? 
No, this was my like high school pals, like just the movie geek pals that I was friends with. Right. And we we had you know we had it we had everybody we had a Bane we had a Batman we had a Robin we had a Poison Ivy we had uh, a Mister Freeze, and we showed up on opening night at the 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 big multiplex in in Rochester at the time was called Tinseltown. And we showed up there thinking that a lot of people would be also doing this. And we were like the the only people who had dressed up for this. <laughs> yeah, and it's I not felt, a Star Wars movie, man. I felt immediately so embarrassed and uncomfortable. <laughs> it was really bad. Oh, man. I worked I, hard on that costume, too. I mean, today you there's people do it a lot for the Marvel movies, the Star Warses, but... It just wasn't a thing. I don't know what possessed us, like why we thought that people would do that. Also, that movie is fucking trash. <laughs> right. I remember walking out of there being like, I dressed up for that. Well, Tim, that was a good last thing of note and an <laughs> opposite, opposite of our being able to recommend something. So would you like to recommend dead something as it is that portion of the show? I would, since we're in October and it's somewhat apropos. I just watched Coco for the first time. And it's so good. It made me cry a little bit. It's really great. You should watch it. Great. Yeah, I like it. It's, yeah, it's it's great. All around, it's great. Mine was my recommendation this week. Mortal Kombat Legends, Scorpion's <laughs> Revenge. What? It's a 2020 film. It's an animated film. It's, Ooh. A, it's like a hard R Mortal Kombat animated film. And it was wow. just like tickled my 13 year old fancy. I'll tell you what of like being a Mortal Kombat fan of those games and just like doing the exact kind of fun story I'd want of like going all out and just having the fight scenes, having the characters being super bloody and intense, the deaths <laughs> because it's a cartoon you can do it. Um, I was just surprised. I'm like, you know what? It's got no okay. I'm just going to watch it. It was like a perfect Saturday afternoon kind of watch, you know, Mortal Kombat Legends, you know, Scorpion's you're bring, Revenge. You're bringing it all back to 19, well, that era, my late high school years. Do you want to know how many times I saw Mortal Kombat, the, the, the movie? How many? In the, in the theater? Take a stab. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, <laughs> five. Yes. there you go that's the most i've ever seen a movie in theaters five that movie is fucking horrible but it's so awesome like when you're that age like i well so i would what would i have been i guess i was sick i was 16 i was i was probably like i don't know what nine years younger. i i was it was a perfect age for me, I tell you what, too. I remember when those that theme song came on. Every one <laughs> of our generation, we this is not this is not novel for people of our ilk and age, uh, reminiscing <laughs> fondly. But five times, Tim. Wow. Five times. Three times, three times in one weekend. Well, Tim, then I think uh, my recommendation of Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge might be up your alley. It probably will be. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, we aren't going to pull an episode because we know what comes after Scream 2. And that's what, Tim? Uh, stab 2. <laughs> Indeed. And then what is Stab 2 in? Is Stab 2 is in Scream 3. I forget. Mm. I know there's another Stab movie going on. but um, I'm convinced. All I remember is like a barn or something like that. 
I feel like that's... Is it a warehouse? A I barn? I feel like that's four. No Scream, way. Scream 3 is very... I remember... It's like very hot. This is the one that I happen to watch the most. A farmhouse? I don't know. It's very Hollywoody stuff. Hollywood. Oh, maybe stuff. it's a set. Yes. Maybe it's a set. That's what it is. There is indeed a set scene. Okay. Well, you I've get to it. watch it tonight. You get to watch it soon. So I know. Find out soon enough. Great. <laughs> well, until we're back for Scream Three, Scream Three from two thousand, still directed by Wes Craven. Hey, oh, cool. Um, well, you can find us wherever you found us. Hope you're enjoying your spooky October if you're listening to these live. Anything else, Tim? Mm-mm. Then all we got to say is we do mean it. Thank you so much for being here. That's right. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>